Welcome to the Her Story Podcast, Son Histoire à Elle. I'm your host, Kathleen Stavert. Son Histoire à Elle est un balado bilingue qui met en valeur non seulement le succès des femmes du Québec, mais qui souligne leur pratique et leur vie de tous les jours. I'll be talking with creative, successful, and game-changing women who are inspiring and relatable in the ordinary and extraordinary lives they lead. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy. Hi everyone, salut tout le monde, Kathleen here. If you're a new time listener, so glad you're here. If you're an old time listener, so glad you're here. It's been a while. And um, I think I'm rethinking the formatting of this podcast, dreaming up different ideas and the guests that I want to have. And if you've been a long time listener, or if this is your first time listening to the podcast, I would so appreciate If you reviewed, left a comment, left a star, it makes these little independent podcasts much easier for the greater public to find. That would be a huge gift for me. And a year into this pandemic, we look ahead and we realize that there's still a long way to go. And I can't help to think about the frontline workers and how much they've been carrying on their shoulders. And if you're anything like me, you've been curious about how they've been coping and how they've been continuing on. I've wondered a lot myself about the situation in long-term care homes and wonder how bad it actually is. Well, this month, Melissa Carter joins me on the podcast She stepped up to the Quebec government's call to train new PABs, or personal support workers, in a very short period of time. Melissa talks about her experience working in these homes, and her experience and stories literally brought me to tears. Her strength amazes me. So sit back and take this one in. After listening back to our episode, I am in deep gratitude to Melissa and everyone who's out there doing their best to ease and lessen the blow of COVID-19. Wear a mask, wash your hands, respect the rules, and stay safe, everyone. Peace. Hi, Melissa. Thanks for coming into the Her Story podcast. Hi, Kathleen. Thanks for having me. It's so great to have you here. So we're going to jump right in. Um, you, last year, I guess it's almost a year ago, you stood up to the Quebec government's call to to go in, get training, and then go into the long-term care homes for at least a year. So you're here today to talk about your experience. So welcome. Nice to have Thank you. you. <laughs> and what is the English the, term? The English term would be uh, personal support workers or even orderlies. But um, I think most generally it's referred to personal support workers. Personal support workers. Great. Mm -hmm. I just want to ask you, why did you get involved? What, like, what was it that attracted you to this kind of work? Ah, oh, um, well, in March, we, uh, we were shutting down everything with COVID. Um, it was announced it was a pandemic and we were losing our jobs and, um, and for a little while it was, it was really nice. We were in our bubble. We got to stay home. We got to be a family. And then 
things started to come out in the news about the different uh, CHSLDs that were struggling, especially the Heron, um, where there was over 40 clients who were passing away, people too afraid to show up at work. And mm. when the call finally came out, um, like I had grandparents who I followed into CHSLDs and were there until the end. And so it didn't sit well with me, but I was making this checklist and I was like, okay, well, you know what? I'm, I'm really good with people. I really like to take care of people and, and really like to help people. There was always this kind of inner paramedic that resides inside. Um, I'm always kind of like mother hen, you know, if someone mm-hmm. cut themselves and like, show me, show me, I'll, I'll fix you. And so I was making this checklist and I was telling my husband, I'm like, I, th- I think I could maybe do this and, and maybe give back and, and do some good. I think, you know, we want, we wanted to help and fix the, the problem, which at the time was a lot easier in my head than the reality of it all. Um, so I said, you know what, I'll just, I'll sign up and, and I'll give them a year. I'll give myself back to other people for that one year to help. So blood, needles, vomiting, and all the kind of dirty stuff that I might associate to that type of work doesn't, it doesn't phase you. You, you like go in headstrong. Go in headstrong. I think at the beginning, I'll admit like the, I think that the hardest hurdle at the beginning, which is, you know, you expect it, but would probably be the sense of smells that happen. Mm. Um, So that was something that was like, oh, okay, this is this is my first week going in. And oh, okay, like, I actually understand what people mean when they say you can smell a urinary tract infection, which at first was like, I I don't understand that. Um, And having a kid, I mean, you'd always, I'd always know when, you know, to change the diaper. And so you kind of get used to it. And then that goes away so fast. You're just kind of like, you're just used to it. The smells are there and it doesn't phase you. And these are just people that really need help and they would do it if they can. And it's embarrassing for them too. Mm. And they don't want it, but um, we kind of just uh, give them back their dignity and you just do what you have to do. And who are the residents? Like what's the sort of typical resident that's in the home that you're working in? Anywhere in long-term care homes, uh, they would require to have assistance for at least three to four hours a day. What would That would make them candidates for long-term care. Um, the CHSLD that I work in, we have different units. Uh, so we have the Alzheimer unit, um, which you have to be able to walk. Um, so the moment you, res- you, you need a, a walker or a wheelchair, you're going to be taken out of that wing. We also have the elderly who can no longer take care of themselves or feed themselves. And we also have um, a rehabilitation center attached to our building as well. So uh, we are known for um, a stroke unit. So a lot Mm -hmm. of the strokes that happen, Pierre Boucher Hospital will send us their clients or anyone in um, motorcycle accidents, car Mm -hmm. accidents, uh, loss of limbs will come to our center, readapt, and they will um, usually go home. So the the goal is to go home for the people in rehab. So the people in rehab, the goal is to go home and the people, the elderly that you're talking about, that's, they're basically in their home until the end of their days, pretty much. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. It's usually a step after most people will tend to go into a residence, um, you know, they'll sell their house, they want to downsize, they go into residence, they have a community, they get to do their activities. Mm -hmm. And then once they are no longer well enough, I think the CHSLD becomes their last stop before they 
move on out of this world. And I remember when we were talking initially before we did the podcast um, about, I guess, like going because you had been working a little bit in the in the rehab part, and it just brought everything home for you. What you were saying about how grateful you are for your own health at your at this age. Um, because you were saying how many young people were in the stroke unit and you weren't even sure if they would ever be able to speak again. Can you just talk a little bit more about the effect that working in the, in that part of the, of the care affected you? Absolutely. I think if there's anything I'm taking away from all of this experience is, you know, life is so short Mm. and you don't know what is going to be handed to you. And I've, sat and I've listened to some stories where my heart just breaks. Oh my God. That these people, especially the elderly, they've lived these long lives and it hasn't always been a happy life. Um, and I think that was one of the things that shocked me the most when I first walked in was not everybody's elderly. There are some people who are early forties who are there because they can no longer take care of themselves. Um, I have clients who are th- we're three months different in age and they've had a severe stroke where they're not no longer able to speak. At first, they weren't able to walk. They are now learning how to retrain their bodies and slowly learn how to walk. Whether they'll get out or not, that's, you know, still to come. Um, others who have just been so affected that this this will be their home for life. And so, you know, I get to go home every night to my yeah. family. These people don't get to go home. So... In this world of me, 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 and I need this and I want this and we need to obtain this, that kind of just goes out the window. And I'm just so blessed that, you know, we've got a a roof over our heads, we've got food in our stomach and we are healthy. Yeah, it really just, I mean, it really just brings, drives that whole concept home. Like you Mm -hmm. just, yeah, everything, everything, just being able to wake up and put your two feet on the, on the, on the floor and go get a coffee easily, you know, without Mm -hmm. pain or anything. It's just like, we take so much of that for granted. It's absolutely. Mm -hmm. So walk us through a typical day for you in when you're working, what's a typical day? I normally work evening shifts, which has been the hardest part of all this because yeah. uh, I see my child an hour a day. Oh um, my God, Melissa. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, that's, that's a hard one. Um, so I usually do a two to 10 shift. So I will come in at two o'clock. I will prepare all the snacks. So juices, cookies, yogurts, and I'll go from room to room offering snacks. Then uh, we do have um, a bath to give. So whosever bath that is, uh, I'll set them up. I carry my phone. I've even purchased a speaker that I take with me. And so I always set up music for my clients as well, just to kind of give them, you know, if they're having a bath a week, it's, it's going to be the best bath that they've oh, had. Oh, that's so great. And, uh, um, after the bath, then it's just getting everybody up and ready for dinner. Some people require, uh, lifts. So I lift them out of their bed into their wheelchairs. We make sure that if they need to be changed, they are changed. Um, we do have about eight, at least, uh, clients who are native, not able to eat by themselves. So we have to deliver all the, the meals and then help those who can't eat themselves. After dinner, we go straight into getting everyone into pajamas, changed, and into bed. Um, we are short staff, especially on weekends. So when my partner has um, a 45-minute break for dinner, 
I'm usually alone for um, 18 clients. Um, so 18 people who really want to go to the washroom, really want to get changed, really want to go to bed. So it gets a little bit chaotic. Um, but we do the best that we can. And hopefully by 10, most people are in their beds. And how do you feel when you come home after a shift? Are you, are you like buzzing or are you exhausted? I think it depends on the night. <laughs> we recently had a full moon and I came home. Uh, just the the noises inside my head, it was just uh, too much. And I came home and I, I had to kind of just vent and get everything off my chest and, and do a quick yoga session to kind of, you know, erase the day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that full where- moon was powerful. <laughs> the one that it- just, I, I was feeling the vibes for sure. If, if there's one thing I can say is that it full moons affect people like I've never seen before. It's, it's wow. so fascinating to me, That's but intense. yes, crazy. everybody's becomes, they, they become troublemakers, um, <laughs> fun, lovable troublemakers. Yeah. But yes, um, there are moments I come home really happy about my day that I've had this incredible moment or I got to see something so beautiful, so unexpected. And, I come home, you know, just, wow, I feel good that I was able to see that or, or I was able to give someone some happiness. And there are moments like last night where I came home and I crumbled in my husband's arms and I just sobbed because I had lost a client that I became attached with, um, Mm. who passed away very suddenly. Mm. And I was also taking care of another woman who was, talking to me about her experience with loss, how she had two children who both died in very horrific ways at different ages. And as a parent, I can't even imagine what that must be like. Mm-hmm. And for her to lose two, um, I think as an empath, it it just kind of destroyed me last night. Oh my goodness. I can imagine. Today's a new day and you, you know, you try to move forward. What is, is there one thing that's in your memory as being really positive where you come home and like you said, and you're just like, wow, I can't believe I I was able to witness that. Is there something that jumps out at you right now? It recently, uh, it was just a tender moment. It was in the Alzheimer's unit and most of my Alzheimer's patients, not all of them, but most of them are not able to really speak or communicate the way that we would normally communicate. And I have a gentleman who was sitting down, just staring out the window, and another gentleman coming up to him, and he doesn't speak at all. He's completely aphasic, and he just stood there, and I watched them, and both of their hands just raised to meet one another, their hands connected, and they just held each other's hands for five minutes, one never taking his gaze away from the window. And the other one was just staring down, just standing still, standing next to him. And I just thought this was two men who couldn't speak. And I just felt like they just needed to just have human connection for a second, human contact. And it was just so tender and loving. And I was just in awe of that moment. Oh, my God, Melissa. It was, yeah, it was, it was really <laughs> special. It, I, it was really, really special. It's um, I was so... um. So happy to witness that. You can't I've never s- seen <laughs> you can't see me right now, but <laughs> I'm having trouble keeping it together. <laughs> that is just like I have tears down my face. <laughs> it's no. not down my nose. <laughs> that is just like whew, that is just such a 
beautiful image. I can't even like, oh my goodness, I'm a wreck. That's wow. Thank you for sharing that. Because <laughs> that's like, that's, um, wow. Like when you think yeah. about little moments, that's, that's, I mean, that's such a huge, powerful moment. And like you say, two men, I, two yeah. men. Yeah, not able just, to speak at all to each other. Yeah, it's um just feeling I, the presence. I, feeling the presence. And I see them. And now that I've witnessed that moment, I kind of watch out for more, maybe I pay attention to it. And you know, one will constantly go over and just kind of it's like they just check in with each other. Like, are you okay? Uh, it's really um something sweet when we lose all communication and we lose our ability to be present in any moment that what your body is still capable of showing another human being is yeah it was really special yeah that's really like a lesson in uh, you know the energy that we that we share between each other and what we're giving off the type of energy that we give off and the power that we have within us and it's like it being palpable, you know, and that it really does make a difference. That's just mm -hmm. like, oh my God, I'm, yeah, I still have tears. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, <laughs> keep it together. Uh, so we hear so many stories on the news about terrible conditions, like heartbreaking situations, um, of what's going on in the long-term care homes. And in your experience, like, is it really that bad? Or have you had any moments where you just wanted to, to throw in the towel and give up? Oh, I think the only time I've ever maybe wanted to give up and it was a fleeting moment and it isn't the conditions or the residents. It was maybe just because of uh, the older uh, personal support workers sometimes they're they've been there for so long I think some of them have lost their compassion for their job and I don't think anyone should be in a, in a job where they're miserable um, if, if you're miserable in your job you should just leave because it just brings in so much negative energy I think that's the only thing our conditions at our center are very I mean our our clients are very well taken care of they're fed they're hydrated um, I think the problem is was just a lack of staff, a lack of people working in this in this field, and the conditions aren't easy as well. Um, we're bound to work one one weekend out of two. We don't get two days off per week that like like everybody else does. Um, so I think the working conditions around the job make it more difficult. The job itself, I find it very special. Um. I'm usually too busy to think about anything else. You just kind of go, 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 go until you're done. Um, I personally, it's, it's sad because I do a good job and I bring a lot of love at the same time. It's, I, I, I hope my parents will never have to see the mm. inside of a CHSLD. We've been there with our grandparents and now I've been on the other side and mm -hmm. it's just, it's not a life. Um, mm. I think about, you know, we, we euthanize our animals when they're in pain or when they're, you know, they're not yeah. well enough anymore. And here we just allow the people to keep going as far as they can until they're done. And sometimes I'm just, you know, it's just, it's a little sad to see, you know, yeah. but um, yeah. Are you in the same care home that you've been since the beginning, since last June or July or last summer? 
I did my summer stage uh, in another care home. And once I completed my stage and passed the course, which was a three-month course, then I got hired and they sent me to another facility um, closer to home. And that's the one that you've been in for the entire time? September. Okay. Yes. Okay. And what was the training like? Like, do you feel like three months is sufficient to be able to, you know, essentially you know, you're not doing open heart surgery, but you are there on the day to day, like you're attending to people's basic needs and their needs are, are, are profound. Mm-hmm. So like, did you coming out of the training, did you feel equipped? Um, I felt I had the tools and then I just needed to know how to apply them better. And I think that comes on the field. You have to do certain, I look back actually, <laughs> My very first time walking into a center after school and you're learning about it and it's already hard enough to to do something completely different off track, you know, at the age of 40 and, and say, okay, I'm going to do this for the year. And mm. I got the, the the knowledge. And then when I stepped into my first home, I was like, oh boy, school and reality are very far from each other. <laughs> and I was given, I was told, can you please give this banana? to a patient, she can eat the banana. And so I walked in the room and it was a woman who was in bed and was not able to move. Um, And so I I unpeel the banana and I'm like, are you sure I'm supposed to give this banana? And I'm, I'm trying to put it towards her mouth for her to take a bite. And I'm not quite understand. I, I asked the nurse, I'm excuse me, can she eat bananas? And yes, yes, she can eat bananas. And I'm like, but I have it here. And then it dawned on me, she can't eat a banana like I would where you unpeel it and take a bite. And so I look down and I see there's an empty bowl and a fork. So I had to, okay, well, I have to take this banana and mash it up and spoon feed it and even add some yogurt. So the texture is a little bit more liquidy mm. and then spoon feed it to her. And I, when I realized that I, I have to say, I started chuckling because it's like, they don't teach you this. This is yeah. something that you really have to learn. On your own. <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> I was like, oh man. I, and I have to say, I've come so far from that moment. Um, I think now it's just instinct. I know who to help and, and what to do and, and how to help, you know, them if they fall in. And, and I think, yeah, I, it's the learning that I have in my home has been so much more than the learning in school. Oh, yeah. As as is the ways of the world, you know, like even just like, you know, as actors coming out of theater school or whatever, we're just not, you know, we don't, you you learn on the job. That's basically like what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's something that has really saved me through all this was my background in the arts because Mm -hmm. I come in and I'm the first person to greet the clients before I greet my coworkers. Um, okay. And I I bring a lot of goofiness, I think, to the floor. I bring a lot of, I hum a lot. I sing a lot. I go around and I, I will snap my fingers and dance in front of my client. And I think being able to, to do that, being just really out of my own shell, I feel mm-hmm. like I'm more out of my shell with them than I would be in an audition, mm-hmm. which is interesting enough. Um, but yeah, I think totally. that's what kind of saved me through throughout all this. That's oh, really... yes. I I recite lines. If I have an auditions, they're they're my you know, I will practice in front of them. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> that's a really great observation. Like it's not just about, you know, reading your audience and what do they need and how do they need it and like how do they need to eat the banana, but it's also just like like you say, being out of your shell and degourdi and um mm-hmm. bring and and also knowing the power 
of art, like you say, bringing in music. And I mean, I'm sure that's not a natural thing that comes to everybody. That's that sort of, you know, intuition on what no, to do. And I- the power of music has been uh, an incredible tool for me. It's something that, you know, in the in the kitchen, when they're all eating, it's very quiet. And it's a bit too quiet. So I started bringing in the music. So we put on different musics. And I'm actually learning or hearing more older French Quebec music and mm-hmm. singing along with it than I had, you know, I, I mean, I remember some of it from being a kid in my dad's car. But much more now. And I have clients who sing at the same time as they're eating. And it's not only joyful for them, but the staff is more joyful. And I think it just puts people in a better mood. And I think everyone works better when you're in a good mood. You were talking about the lack of staff that you've witnessed. And are there any other ways in which you feel the system could do get, do better? Like if you had, you know, if you, if you could change anything, what would it be? Or demand anything and get it, what would it be? Oh, that's such a hard question because it's something I think about all the time. Um, I think, you know, we were promised a wage going into this, which we never received, um, no still way. haven't received. Really? So under the guidelines, Lego government promised us $26 an hour. Uh, we never received that. Uh, <gasps> we actually make less than what we were paid to go to school. Um <gasps> And, uh, and I get, I see both sides of the coin. I see that us coming in after three months of school, we should not be paid more than the nurses who've been working there for years and who are forced to do overtime. Mm -hmm. The personal support workers were not forced to do overtime, but the nurses usually hit 16 hour shifts quite often during the week. Um, I think this job, the wage should be much higher for everybody. Mm -hmm. The physical the mental, the spiritual stress that you have to go through, you know, there's never any closure. You're the patience that you have, these people that you tend to take care of and love pass away. Um, we, there was a statistic that I heard that a personal support worker will manipulate 12,000 pounds of flesh in a day. So that's just helping someone stand up Damn. or helping someone sit down or helping someone sit up on the bed or, you know, help them get out of bed. So your body takes a lot of physical, you know, um, strain. Um, so that's really hard. So I don't think the salary compensates. I think that this is a hard job for anybody. And I think it should just be much higher. It would be the first place I would start. I keep trying to find other ideas. I, I don't know. Uh, we need more, we need more hands-on, I think is what people need. We just need more people. So that was a really great segue into what my next question was. And it was, I want to know about the, the, the emotional and physical toll or effects that it's been having on you in you, like in your personal life. It's been this up and down kind of road. Um, the very beginning, I didn't even see the stress of going to school and starting this journey. And I had gained almost 20 pounds at the beginning of this. Mm. Um, and, and that was surprising in the sense, because I think I was just, you know, you have so many emotions and <laughs> yeah, totally. I think they go well with the burgers, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> oh, emotions always go well with fries and burgers and beer. Um, <laughs> best friends. When I started this, um, I also, we, um, 
you know, I have a six-year-old now at home, but uh, at, in October, uh, I found out I was pregnant and I had to work my shift for the weekend. And during the shifts, I had a miscarriage and we were so few people on on shift that I I couldn't leave and leave the elderly oh people um, unattended. Like you just, you just can't. And so the Saturday and Sunday, I just continued working. And then on Monday morning before my shift, I went and went and got checked at the, at the hospital and uh, we had the miscarriage. And so it was just kind of like, you know, you don't really have time to process this. You don't have time to even just go home and take care of yourself yeah. because there's a need to take care of other people. And so that's what happens. You kind of put everyone else before your own sanity. And um, I think that took a toll. Melissa, I'm so sorry to hear about that. That must have been Thank really you. devastating. It, um, it was hard because I compartmentalize and I think I sweep things a lot under the rug and then it will bubble up at other times. And Is that something that you do naturally or is it when you're busy and in a sort of like high, high stress environment? I think it's something that I do naturally. I kind of, but if I'm busy and I tend to maybe be always busy, so I don't necessarily feel other things, uh, I don't take the time to really process it. And then mm -hmm. sometimes it comes up and I'll be like, oh, right. Oh, mm -hmm. That was a hard moment. And then I yeah. have to kind of, you know, acknowledge it and, um, and maybe, you know, acknowledge it out loud. I think a lot of people are you know, in my family anyways, we're kind of, you know, you just kind of keep those things to yourself, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that hinders more than it helps. So, well, I'm really glad that you talk about it because I think we need to talk, you know, this is kind of off the top topic of our, of our podcast, but you know, it all really goes together. Um, miscarriage is so common and I've had so many friends and even women come onto the podcast, um, who have had miscarriages at work as well. And it's just, it's one of those things that like women are conditioned to, like you say, just sweep it under the rug because mm -hmm. we don't talk about it because whatever judgment or conditioning there is around it, um, we have to continue on in this like capitalist system that we've got going and, and keep going, going, going. Um, and in your case, you know, you're, you're caring for people who can't care for themselves. So I guess it's like, mm -hmm. I guess it probably felt like the most natural thing to do. Like, well, I can get on with things, but other people can't. So I might as well just get on with it. But, but you still carry Absolutely. that, you know, you still carry that grief. So, mm -hmm. but I really appreciate you, you sharing that because, you know, <laughs> All the opportunities that we have to talk about miscarriage and pregnancy and, you know, what we have to deal with is, <laughs> is great, but no, but it's, um, yeah, I can imagine that must've been pretty heavy for you. It's a, it's been an interesting year, you know, um, <laughs> no shit, no like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and then we get these, um, you know, thank you for the government. They've added uh, a prime for us for COVID. So if you show up to all of your shifts on time, um, they'll give you an allotted amount uh, for the month. But if you don't show up to your shift on time or you miss a day because your child is sick or your child needs to self-isolate from school or you're unwell, you lose the entire prime for that month. Oh, and wow. Yeah. It's costly. It's uh, it's $1,000. And yeah. 
So I see a lot of people sometimes just saying like, you just got to fight through this because that extra thousand dollars is going to be able to help, you know, especially if your spouse has lost their job during Mm -hmm. this time, you know? So it's this kind of weird, uh, thank you, but it's, it comes with almost like, um, uh, in penitence, you know, like that's a double edged sword in a way. It's a double edged sword. Yeah. So you've been still booking acting work. Which is, which is amazing. Like I, I'm just like, when you, you know, when I see what you've been, what you've been up to and, and, you know, just hearing about your experience of what you've been going through, um, congratulations. That's really great. And how do you manage that? How do you make that? Like, how do you juggle that? Like, I just, you know, I think about myself, you know, busy, I'm, I'm busy, but in, very different ways than you are. Um, and when an audition comes through, as you know, you kind of have to drop everything and do the audition because sometimes you have to submit it for the next day at 10 a.m. and it's 5 p.m. already and you just kind of got to do it and you want to do it well because you want to book the work. So it's kind of like the cycle that actors go through and we accept it because it's part of the job. Absolutely. But when you're in this high stress, high stakes care mode and you have to do it you come home from work you do the audition i mean how do you how do you manage that and still manage to book work well done <laughs> thank you <laughs> 2019 wasn't very kind to me in the booking so when i made a decision to come into this i was you know i really said okay well you know we lost our jobs and the acting community i was so worried because i said i don't know when this is going to be able to come back mm-hmm. and i said i think there there'll always be room for people in healthcare so I took the job and I was terrified. I was terrified because I felt if I took this job, it would mean that I wouldn't be an actor anymore. Mm-hmm. And I've, I'm an actor first and it's where my heart is fulfilled when I get to do something creative and be on set. And I'm so grateful for any little moment that comes along that I can be a part of that. Um, and so I was shocked every time I did get the booking. I was like, what? Because... <laughs> I would maybe because I didn't put too much stock in it anymore because I would just do the audition and then I've got to go and do something else that takes more precedence or, you know, and, and I wasn't maybe so clinging on to like like getting on. Yeah. Yes. I mean, there's still one or two roles that come around every once in a while where like, ah, it's heartbreaking when you just don't book it, but you move on. And so I was able to do these negotiate days off as well for work. So I tend to pick up days where that weekend I'm I'm supposed to have off. I'll now work just so I can shoot a commercial during the week. Um, I don't really sleep more than six hours. I have a kid who's up at six 30 and usually in bed by midnight, 1230. So it's the most that I'll get to sleep. And, um, if I have an audition, the sides are with me at work. So my Mm -hmm. breaks or when my clients are sleeping or when I'm brushing their dentures at the, (laughs) (laughs) You know, in their bedrooms, I, it's the weirdest thing. But I, I go, I, I have the mirror and their dentures in my hand, and for some reason, all my lines seem to come out. Then you know, and oh, that's amazing. I usually get what? What are you saying? Rehearsing in action for sure. Um, rehearsing in action. Um, I was just uh, recently given a compliment saying my work has become more layered and more mm. grounded. Mm. Um, and they were just think maybe it's because of this job and. I think it's just easier to maybe tap into the emotions because of all the things that I see and the good moments and the sad moments and the the fact that these moments are just so, you know, uh, I'm trying to find the right word for that, um, fragile, you know, yeah. 
So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it might it might actually make you more vulnerable and open to to channeling that mm-hmm. in some ways. And and I think I also think that like the sort of lâcher prise, the surrendering when you're just so busy, you're just like, well, I'll just do this audition, I'll do the best, and then I have to move on to the next thing. I don't have time to dwell on it. And um, and I think also like also having another salary coming in can also be you know, as a, you know, a bit of a comfort. So you're not like resting every single expectation of paying rent and, you know, covering your baseline with like on booking a gig. So I think a lot of that has to do with it. Yeah. So if someone would, was interested in doing, in, in, you know, kind of picking up the work that you're doing, what would you warn someone about or what would you tell them or any piece of advice that you would give them? Oh, I think that, you know, the relations, relationships that they create with the people that they take care of. um, I found it to be extraordinary of how fast you can become attached to someone Mm. um, very quickly. Um, We have all different types of people. Just like in the world, there's so many different types of people and some you get along with and some you necessarily wouldn't, um, but you're there to give care. And I think that's really meaningful. So I think that if someone wants to be a part of that and to, you know, give what they can to somebody else, I think you really have to just want to want to help people. I think the system around all that is... Um, the one thing that desperately needs to change. So I think you can get boggled down by that of the forced hours, the not eligible necessarily for the vacation time that you want because everything is based on seniority, Mm. not getting job postings that you may feel that you're perfect for because of seniority. Everything comes down to a number. um, And that's the hardest part. I've never felt more like a number in the system at work They know me as the girl with the blue eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, They know me as being um, caring and loving and everything else. If I call, it's, hi, I'm 53954. Hi, I'm, you know, that's my number. And, you know, even with the higher ups, they don't, you know, they hire you for a job posting, but they don't even get to know who you are. You're just that number on the piece of paper. And that could be really hard to deal with sometimes feeling mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. I think everyone wants to hear, Hey, you're doing a really good job and we appreciate you doing this. And, uh, uh that doesn't get said very much right. in care homes. What are you doing at the moment to look after yourself? I have started yoga and if you knew me, <laughs> <laughs> you know that I would beat the yeah, I, I was just someone who preferred a punching bag. Uh-huh. I was not the yoga person. I was, I felt maybe sometimes it was just a, oh, it was just so out of my element, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and I realized I am busy and my husband will keep saying it. He's like, you just, you're always everywhere. You're just scattered. You just do everything. You don't take any time for yourself. And I said, fine. And I always had back issues and problems with my shoulders and, I'm in my early forties now. So, you know, we're climbing up there and, um, I was like, okay, I'm going to start taking better care of myself. And so I started this yoga with Adrian mm-hmm. online and, um, I started with day one and today is day 98 and I have not missed a single day. Right. In 98 on. Wow. Days. Wow. Good yes. for you. 
<laughs> and there are days where I come home and it is the last thing that I want to do. And I regret not doing it earlier in the day. And I fight against it. And I come up with all these excuses not to do it. And then I do it. And then I, I it just kind of takes a moment to just be with myself and forget about all the negativity or the sadness that I just went through and remind myself to breathe. And, um, and I feel so much better because of that. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's impressive, inspiring, and kind of puts me in my little corner because even as a yoga teacher, I don't think I've ever done 90 days. <laughs> 98. <laughs> 98 days. 98 wow. days. Oh, wow. You got to have if a you, celebration in two days. <laughs> I, You know what? I was like, if I know myself very well, yeah. and I never, ever thought that would be something I would say. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I mean... Yeah, I totally can connect with the 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 healing powers of yoga, definitely. Mm -hmm. And like and it's usually when you fight against it the most, um that that's that's when you need it the most. And I think <laughs> like that's the only thing that I do for myself. The rest of the time wow. I'm I'm just too busy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> at least you know that's that one thing and it is it is really powerful. It mm -hmm. does, you know, it does have an effect. Is there anything that you want to say to the population at large, as we are probably most likely assuredly going into a third wave with all the variants? Um, we know that COVID is real, but like, I'm sure for people that were, you know, that are on the front line of healthcare, know that it's all too real in some devastating ways. Is there anything that you want to say about that to people? Oh, you know, I think it comes down to um, just about, you know, you can have your opinions about it, but when you're with other people, to be smart about it. Um, we wear masks all day long, so I spend at least nine hours a day in a mask daily. And mm -hmm. when we have anyone who has a fever or they are new to our center because they've come from a hospital they have to self-isolate in their room for 14 days. And it's just not mm. my rehabilitation people who are maybe a little bit younger and who have all their faculties, but it is the elderly who don't always have their faculties and who don't have the mobility and who are left to be alone in their room for 14 days. And mm. that is hard. We have people that come in sometimes to visit their families and they would like to speak to their parents and they have a tendency to you know, just lower their mask. And even that has become problematic because they leave and we've had numerous cases already where we found out that person who visited got COVID. Mm. Um, we even have one this week where now that person visit had COVID and we don't know if it's a variant or not. So mm. not only do I have my mask, my goggles, my gown, my gloves, now I have to have a different mask. I, has, I also have to have a visor. We have to take extra precaution and it becomes so much harder when we have all this protective gear that we have to set up and wear it into each room. Mm -hmm. And then you have that person who is also in their room, new to the center, and a person comes in wearing all this gear, you know, mm -hmm. and they're not allowed to leave. So I think like if we can just be more mindful that maybe you don't agree with the the rules and regulations, but they're there for a reason. And it would make our jobs easier if everyone kept to their bubbles, if everyone, if they didn't keep to their bubbles, then just at least wear a mask, you know, mm -hmm. to protect themselves and to, yeah, you know, if they, if we want to get out of this lockdown, then just follow the rules and let's just do it properly the first time around. And then we don't have to come back to this. 
I heard a really great analogy on the radio the other day. The the epidemiologist was comparing this whole COVID saga to a three-part action movie and how like the hero, us, the population, we're in the third act of the action movie and the battle is maybe not as big, but everyone's like the hero is tired. The hero is exhausted, but the hero has to keep on going and keep on using the same weapons and keep on fighting in the same way and the same strength just to get through. I thought that that was really, <laughs> I was like really appropriate to, <laughs> to the moment. Just yeah, kind of I would getting agree. Through. Getting through. Getting through. Yeah, and have you variants are just uh, are just like creating different paths. You know, I, yeah. it's one thing to deal with the COVID, but these ones are just making it a little bit more complicated. Have you been vaccinated? I did. I got my first vaccination on the 24th of December. Mm-hmm. And because of the rules and regulations in Canada and the lack of vaccines, they want to get as many people vaccinated first before they hand out the second doses. So mm-hmm. uh, my second dose will be next week, April 16th, which would be almost uh, just shy of four months. Oh, great. My first that's, and second. That's great. Yeah. So Melissa, um, this contract, like you had to commit a year essentially, and we're coming up to a year, like in the summer, what's, what's next for you? Are you going to continue on? What's, what's, what are you thinking is next for you? Uh, that's so hard. Um, I would like a break <laughs> first. Uh, <laughs> no shit. I've had four, four days off in a row since June 15th, 2020 oh, is what wow. I've had. Wow. Um, and this summer, um, I'm actually going to be working a seven, seven. So I'll be doing seven days on and seven days off for 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a little bit tough, but rewarding the following week. Um, yeah. I, you know, I really enjoy helping people. I think I would definitely need to be on a different shift. I would need to see my child more because I feel like all my good work and all the love that I have given to others came at her expense of just not being present at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, you know, very well taken care of with, you know, Papa and, and that's it. But I, I, I find it very hard yeah. um, to not see her. There's so many different branches. So I think I would want to just complete this course uh, just to have all the credits so I can go anywhere. I would like to work in the hospitals. I've been applying to some job postings there um, to work at the emergency or you know, neurology or cardio. I think it's a fast-paced environment, so I would like to to know what that's like. I think maybe further down the road, I've always had this pipe dream of owning a bed and breakfast with a bit of land mm. and uh, having a donkey was like <laughs> the, 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 the dream of the dream. And I was saying to my husband, you know, what if we had a bed and breakfast, but then we turned it into also on, on different seasons where we can, it could be a respite center where people who are taking care of their parents at yeah. their homes need a bit of a break. They can come and, you know, drop them off and we would take care of them while they got away for a week and they came back for them. So I think there's a need for that too. I think, the way that COVID cracked open our our healthcare system, we saw all the faults going into this where yes. people do want to keep their parents at home as long as possible. And that's what has initially been going on as well. When we get our clients in the CHSLDs, it's because you know, they're much further along and they need more care because they were being taken care of at home. But 
there's different factors that go into it. Some people have young children. Some people have parents with dementia or Alzheimer's, which could be dangerous because they can wander, leave mm-hmm. the house during the evenings. They could leave a stove on. Um, a lot of people tend to have stairs in their homes. So the mobility, it's, you know, uh, the elderly tend to fall a lot. Um, and uh, a fractured hip could potentially kill yeah. uh, an elderly person. Yeah. So that's why they do come to us for more security and safety. But uh, these are all little branches that I have in my head where I still like the idea of helping people um, maybe just have a little more freedom in between and not be so bound to a schedule that just doesn't fit what I'd like it to be. Yeah. I just wanted to say (laughs) thank you on behalf of um, everyone listening to this podcast and, um, you know, your friends and your community. Uh, Thank you so much work that you're doing. I hope you know how powerful it is and how much it means to us um, who can stay at home and stay 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 safe because there's people like you going out there and taking care of the world. <laughs> so I really appreciate you taking the time being on this podcast and speaking with me. I'm sure it hasn't been easy, but um, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. Well, thank you so much for having me and being able to have this cathartic outlet as well to talk about this. Um, so thank you very much. It's, it means a lot. Thanks again so much for being here with us. Merci beaucoup. If you like this podcast, don't forget to rate, review, star, subscribe, share with a friend. See you next time on the Her Story Podcast.